Hello everyone, welcome to another exciting adventure in the video game world. It's ARG Presents. I'm your boy, Amigo Aaron, joined by a man who, much like many of the games on today's subject matter, is made from cheap foreign animation. I give you the Brent. Yep, there it goes. Clearly. Very cheap. How are you today, big man? I am well. How about yourself? I'm, I'm beat down. I'm beat down, but I'm here. I can't stop. I won't stop. So, if you tuned in last week, we spun the wheel. We made the exciting deal. It was another two-in-a-row retro rewind as we pulled up good old-fashioned, one of our favorites. Bam! It's a Laserdisc Arcade, Brent. Yes. Another round of Laserdisc games. Now, uh, you'll recall the last time we did Laserdisc games, Brent, can you remember the uh, subject matter of that particular show? I know. I did Time Travelers. And I think I did Esh's Amarilla, which yeah, was... I, a <laughs> I'm actually really glad we got a chance to come back to these because we did very uh, uh, storybook games before, uh, interactive movies, as some people like to call them. And uh, this week, we're taking a look at the other side where they uh, tried to use the laser disc footage and make, you know, a more traditional playable game. That's right. That's right. Uh, we tried to... Uh... You know, I don't think, once again, we didn't talk about what we were going to play beforehand, but we both ended up playing uh, games that sort of cover the other aspects of uh, Laserdisc arcade games, which were, uh, you know, games that had animation or or uh, live footage in the background when they tried to overlay something that resembled gameplay. Yes. You know, which is, you know, pretty neat. Uh, you know, uh, Laserdisc games really do run the gambit, uh, Brent, in terms of what they tried to do. Uh, but uh, they <laughs> they they weren't exactly successful most of the time. It's funny. I was looking at a list of the of the dates that ga the games were released, uh, and if you look at how they how they were released, they really were trying different stuff pretty much right out of the gate. Uh, you had uh, the first round of, of games in '83. You had your Dragon's Layers, your Space Aces, but you also had your Astron Belts, a game like Cobra Command. Astron Belt was a game where you laid footage over top of a uh, like move, uh, footage from various movies, uh, and then you had your Cobra Command, which sort of mixed the two ideas. It was footage of uh, uh, air combat that you and you sort of kind of flew the chopper, but not really. You remember that one? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, good game, but not great. Uh, then when '84 rolls in '85, it's they've mostly given up on that concept for these couple years, and they're, you're going straight up. Uh, Dragon Slayer ripoff style stuff. You got Super Don Quixote, Road Blasters, Thayer's Quest, and then when you get up into the like later eras of of your laser games, like t towards ninety, you get the games where American Laserdisc games did stuff like uh, Mad the Mad Dog McCrae's, those those sorts of games where you actually once again change the gameplay up to where you're doing like shooting the screen and sort of a duel type thing. And those, I think those were probably some of the most playable ones. Wouldn't you agree on that? Uh, I mean, as playable as Laserdisc got, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, right off the top of your head, I'm going to come to call you on the carpet here. Do you have, do you think there's a Laserdisc game that it comes anywhere near uh, uh, other normal games in terms of gameplay? I mean, it, do you think there's one that's at the tippity top of the list? Um, I mean, just uh, gun games. You know, the that, Mad, that, Mad yeah. Dog McCree type stuff. Yeah, yeah. There, it's that, it, it's a those tough, work. Yeah, it's this the problem with the latest uh, genre, the the technology 
it the gameplay was so limited that they I think they almost ran out of ideas. I mean, you got to also think that this is coming from an era where everything that was people were very clever uh, in this era of video games. So it's it's hard to be super clever with a laser disc. The technology is just <laughs> limiting to say the least. But we have our favorites. It's funny I'm drawn back to these games over and over despite their limited appeal. Uh, just because of, I don't know, maybe I grew up with them. This is a genre that I think younger people don't get. Have you ever had that feeling? Well, here's the reason. Uh, obviously, these games were all about their graphic, right? I think yes. we can both agree with that. I that's agree. what yes. made them stand out. So that's what really makes it hard for people to go back who have never didn't grow up with this stuff to say, man, that looks awesome because it doesn't really look awesome anymore. It looks like low-res video when people have 4K looks just as good as live video gameplay now. Yeah, you've, you got a point there. Uh, you know, when you do you remember the first time you got to play these at home, like any of these games? I mean, what was the, the Amiga? What, I mean, I really said the Dragon Slayer for the Amiga was the first yeah, time you... absolutely. That, that yeah. was an unbelievable moment uh, when, you, when you first boot those up, isn't it? Absolutely. We were both yeah. big fans of Dragon Slayer and Space Ace. And, I mean, granted, the Amiga versions were quite limited, do you remember the first time you actually tried a uh, like a, a one of the CD versions, like for example the PC? Was it also Dragon's Lair? Um, I would have said my first one would have been Dragon's Lair. That was a uh, DVD that you played with a television. Oh yeah, and, how did that and, play? And I remember those. Yeah, they were horrible. They were. It was at the seat time. It was so slow in the DVD player. Yeah, the the transitions. And if we had better DVD player back in the time, it would have probably been okay. Yeah, but. Going from scene to scene uh, after you do your action was so slow that it just killed the the fluidness of it. You know, it's funny. Eventually, they ended up releasing real uh, a couple of really good, very high def versions. Of some of these games, I know, I have uh, Dragon's Lair for the Wii, and it's like a real. It's like they turned it widescreen and high def. They did a great job. So it's kind of neat that some of these sort of made the transition. But I don't say I don't think you're going to see the majority of these making the transition to a more modern aspect ratio or definition with stuff like cliffhanger. I don't think yeah, see I would those agree. Again. So, with all that being said, uh, this time around, we took a look at a couple different types of Legendus games. Uh, we, uh, of course, we didn't talk ahead of time. It's funny, we both went sort of in the same direction. Brent, I'm going to take the uh, lead-off spot this week with my offering, and I went with an old favorite of mine, and that one is Mach 3. Uh, yes. Mach 3, an interesting game, and I, I'm going to answer my own question from earlier. Uh, I'm going to make the argument here that this is the best Laserdisc game ever released. And certainly, when I say that, I mean by, uh, gameplay-wise, it's the most playable Laserdisc game ever released, in my opinion. This game released in 1983, uh, manufactured by Milestar, uh, Brent. Uh, this this is a game that has a pedigree of the people that worked on it. Gottlieb uh, had a lot of uh, interest in this game, and they contributed some of the people that worked on it. So... This was programmed by a fellow named Chris Brewer. The video graphics were done by a guy named Jeff Lee. Jeff Lee worked on a lot of games uh, you may have heard of, including Crawl, Mad Planets, Cubert, Road Rash, 3D, and Us vs. Them, which is another Legendus game. Uh, the uh, sound was done by a fellow named David Thiel, who worked on, among other things, my, one of my personal favorites, Time Killers. He worked on the sound on that. He also worked on the sound on Cubert, Crawl. Uh, he worked on the sound for Golden Tee Golf 1 and 2. So he worked on a lot of really good games. And the, and the cabinet graphics were done by a fellow named Terry Dozer Zaff. He worked on Cubert, Mad Planets. Plus, 
He worked on the pinball machine, Haunted House, and Black Hole. So you see, it, it, this this game had an interesting mix of people from the pinball world and the and, and the sort of the more st- traditional arcade world that came in to work on it. So I think, and of course, uh, part of the appeal of this game is the cabinets, which we'll, we'll get to here. So what is Mach 3? <laughs> you take control of a jet fighter. And you're basically tasked with going through these going through these sorties, these missions. This game presents you with two options when it comes to gameplay. You get a bombing option, and you get a sort of a, like a, a, thir- a third-person perspective flight option where you're behind behind the jet as it flies. And it gives it really it's almost like two different games to be honest with you. I mean, it really is. So <clears throat> we'll talk about the bombing uh, section of this first. What they did was, Clay Lacey shot the footage for this game. Uh, they basically tied a camera to a plane and flew it over different parts, of, uh, 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 different areas, and filmed it. And they took this high-definition footage, and then they overlaid uh, your jet on top of it, along with all the other things you see. So everything on top of the footage is graphics. What the result of this is, <clears throat> and, and this is what makes the game so playable, is they... They use sort of a heads-up display to make it look like you're targeting different areas on the ground. Uh, and they actually do a good job of, of putting the heads-up display over things that look like targets. You're going to come across day, uh, you're going to come across like chemical plants, uh, boats. They fly over like a naval yard, a dock. They fly over all kinds of stuff that you can blow up bridges, uh, highways buildings and and they overlay uh what looks like a heads-up display like that's basically telling you to bomb here Uh, on top of the bombing you're also shooting while you're flying and so at the top of the screen when when an enemy is getting ready to come on the screen there'll be a flash again it looks like a heads-up display telling you that something's coming and you need to get ready to shoot it and then planes will come will come flying through there that you have to avoid or shoot and the effect of this is pretty cool they overlay the sound with like radio chatter, so it's, you sort of feel like you're actually flying uh, uh, like some sort of sortie. The, there's a vagary as to who you are, who you're bombing, and what the mission is. Basically, blow up everything they say is pretty much the mission. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they you also fly over like an airfield. Uh, it's really um, the footage they got was target rich, wasn't it, Brent? I mean, you, there were plenty of stuff to sh- that you could blow up, and that they uh, uh, and it looks good. Uh, the uh, for the bombing right especially yeah, the yes. plane feels good it's responsive now it's not perfect uh, what you've got amongst the th- obstacles you have to avoid are uh, these missiles that shoot from behind you they can be real difficult to avoid because they're coming from behind and you don't get a visual uh, notification that they're coming you also have to avoid like ground to a- uh, ground to air fire and uh, uh, that can also be difficult. But what's neat about that is they've actually, the ground-to-air fire is done in a way that it looks like it's coming from the potential targets that, that you see. So, like, if you're coming across, like, an aircraft carrier, you're going to notice more ground-to-air, uh, uh, you know, a, a fire because you're over something that could, could conceivably shoot you from the ground, which I thought was pretty was pretty slick. Uh, the uh, overlays, the, the video overlays look pretty good most of the time. They generally get uh, look like they're over a proper target, and so that makes you know that gives it some uh, that gives it some realism to it. When you blow something up, they overlay an explosion, which is also really cool. 
you get so you get that you get that aspect of it. I thought it, I think it's a really interesting look. What do you think, Brent? So the I definitely think the bomber part of this game is the best of the two modes, and I know you're going to talk about the other one here in a second. Uh, the footage is interesting. Uh, the game is not nearly as cheap as the other mode. Having indicators when the planes are going to come up was a really good idea. Uh, it, it gives you a little bit of uh, foresight that you would have if you were in a plane like this. Also, the uh, missiles that come up from the back, they're fairly rare. They're not a uh, huge part of the game. The planes that come down will actually try to loop behind you and shoot you in the back. So that's kind of cool. Um, and then the footage that you're actually bombing feels like you're bombing, like you said before, actual target. Uh, most of them are either factories or chemical plants or rail yards or shipping depots, that kind of stuff. The boats, when you're bombing the boats, a lot of them look like military-style boats. Uh, so the, the footage with the gameplay on this, very spot-on. This was definitely my favorite way to play this. Uh, and I, I didn't get through the game because it gets ridiculously difficult. But I did watch through the game. And uh, one thing I don't understand why they did was they go into a radiation field yeah. where they screw with the visuals a lot. Uh, I unnecessary. I, I think they were just saying they just wanted to have something different, and I can salute that. I can understand it. I don't think that was the right thing to do. Uh, also, why would you bomb stuff that's already irradiated? I mean, they're already well, dead. It could Jim. be like nuclear power plants. Some I like the fact that they put the radiation symbols on the HUD because that makes it feel like that you're that that differentiates some of the targets. You know, this is this game's all about uh, uh, illusion. You know, this particular right. part, of, and they, I thought they did a good job. I like the fact that they sort of differentiated the targets between different types of. You know, that way it felt it felt more like a realistic HUD would look. Like you could almost see this sort of like heads up display in an actual bomber, and it would make sense. Uh, you know, in real life, that's what made it cool. You know, now they, all of <clears> that said, the actual gameplay element of of shooting and flying and bombing are so-so. Um, I didn't feel like I had great control over where my bombs were going. Uh, I never felt like... Sometimes I would hit targets that I was nowhere near. Um, sometimes I would miss targets that I hit square in the middle of the box. Yeah. So The illusion's not perfect. No, they, it's they, not. They, they, I mean, no. they, because, uh, but, because what they're doing is effectively matching footage up and trying to hold a... A, a graphic over it as it moves, and so it's it's not what I would call it 100% perfect. This is one game I've noticed that on the actual machine, the the graphic is better than it is on in the emulation. They 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 believe it or not, they stay closer, and I think part of it's because of the way that it's tuned for the way the discs play in this. But that's and I remember having trouble with Daphne back in the day where these targets would be way off, you know. So that, that definitely Daphne can can cause some issues with this. Uh, Daphne being the emulator for these games. Uh, but for the sure. most part, they've perfected it over the last couple of years to where it run, it's pretty good. You know? Now, one thing I want to <clears throat> note, just since you kind of brought it up, uh, the way they track the targets in this is uh, basically what I do for our outro now, uh, for the supporter video, yeah. where they are locking onto a piece of the footage and then tagging it and and having that target stay with it. 
is basically what I do for uh, the closing credits. Right. So I could at least do that part of the of of the game. I will. I will say that's that's. I never thought about that. that's kind of neat. What about the one thing about this game is you could literally take the video footage out and you could still play the game. Uh, would that game? But you wouldn't. What, what would to? that game be fun? No. 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 Absolutely not. The video footage makes this game uh, tick, and that's what yes. that's what's fun about it. So <clears throat> that's your bombing uh, portion of the game. Now you've also got the other aspect of the game, and you picked this at the beginning of the game uh, when you uh, put your money in. Uh, you, you can pick which game you want to play. The other game is sort of this third person behind the jet, straightforward game. Now this is a, a whole different kettle of fish here, uh, but. It's a much. This one plays a lot faster. This is more of like an action, super action game than than the uh, bombing missions, in my opinion. Uh, and this one sees your guy, uh, your jet rolling through across land, sort of at a low altitude, going through like like almost looks like the desert, like Monument Valley, and going through uh, uh, targets that are more of a deserty type. There's you'll go and bomb. Uh, uh, you go through mountains, you and canyons. There's a place where you shoot up a dam. You know, it's it's a very the footage is awesome, and this in this version it's sort of the similar situation. You're playing in front of shot footage, but this stuff is coming straight on at you, as opposed to you coming up from the ground or you know uh, from the top. When you play this uh, version, you again you have guns and missiles. <clears throat> you again have targets uh, that that will be sort of ground based, and you've also got mostly aircraft and stuff. The the main nemesis in this are these uh, ground to air missiles. These things, and I know when you said you didn't like this version, I know that's why. These ground-to-air missiles are tough to avoid. They're heat seekers, man, and they will follow you all over the screen, and they'll shoot them in bunches. You could get uh, two or three that are coming, and they, but they're not coming all at once. They're sort of staggered. But you're forever uh, juking and jiving your way through this level, trying to get past it. This is a level I've never actually gotten to the end of, and I had to watch had to watch the ending. And I've actually gotten to the end of the bomber level before. And, and this this I found this really tough. But I you do get a different sense of speed playing this version than you did playing the other version. I mean, you're really rocketing through these canyons and stuff. It, it uses the same heads up display targeting that you got on the first one. This one's also identifying tar more military type targets on like canyon walls and on mountains that are trying to shoot you. It sort of tells you like where the uh, where the missiles are coming from. You also will have like <clears throat> uh, stuff to shoot from you. Like it's like helicopters and whatnot that come up. What did you think of the uh, of this version of the game? I have a feeling I already know what you thought, but what did you think of it? Well, this uh, while the flying version uh, as opposed to the bombing version is visually more appealing that is literally the only part and i don't even know if it's visually more appealing the targets are uh, the hud targets are over top of nothing it would just say oh there's a gun here trust it you just can't see it um the scene transitions are way too frequent uh and they are they're jarring they're not they're yeah they're not blended at yeah. all um the missiles that you were talking about are the cheapest thing I've ever seen. And I guarantee you was they had people playing it, and they were like, well, crap, this is too easy. People are doing too well. 
we'll show them because yeah. the the missiles are nigh on unavoidable and they stay on the screen forever you can fly them in a circle for like 15 seconds before they'll eventually explode on their own completely ridiculous completely destroys this version of the uh, game for yeah the, the, uh, they're they're tough i mean and, and i mean you can the thing is that you can wiggle out of the way of them but they come there's so many that you may avoid six, but the seventh one's still coming, you know, and, and yeah. that's the one that gets you. And so that does that does take away from it quite a bit. I'll grant you. And also, while you're dodging so so much, trying to hit targets is impossible. You're you're basically just firing. You're holding the fire button down while you're moving around the screen and hoping things line up. You can't, unlike the uh, bomber version, you can't take time to line up a shot, even if it's you know. You might feel like you hit that shot and it didn't count it. On the shooting version, the flying version, there is no lining up your shot. You're dodging missiles almost continuously. Uh, another thing about the flying version that I, I did not like, the canyon scenes were awesome. Yeah. When you're flying into the canyons and, and it's kind of, you know, you're going in and out and side to side and that kind of stuff. That footage is great. Great sense of speed. Uh, occasionally he'll do a, a a barrel roll and he'll rotate the screen. That's pretty neat. Uh, however, there are tons of points during this level where you're just flying over desert, flat, boring desert. Yeah. There's really nothing interesting to look at at all. And again, it just has you know here's a HUD shot, here's a HUD shot. Uh, there's nothing actually on the footage to shoot. It just says there is. So I think. Personally, the flying part, big thumbs down. As much as I enjoyed the bombing part is how much I didn't like the flying part. Let me ask Which you. Which was your favorite you, of the two? Did you get the feeling that any of the targets you shot and could could uh, make it so they, like, they will show you the outline of guns and tanks and whatnot. Did you get the feeling that if you shot that stuff quick enough that you would not have to face some of the fire? That's one thing. No. I, I, I think that would have been a, a kind of a neat aspect of the game. If they had made it so... If you shot this stuff quick enough, then you're not going to get you're not going to get the the missiles or something like that, and so that you could have lessened the amount of them. I think that would have been a, a big a big help uh, for this uh, one. I, the problem is, is you'd have to memorize even if that was true, and I don't think it is. I think the I think the anti air fires. Yeah. No matter what, I think you're right um, because I mean I I I, I for I've, some of this canyon, I kind of memorize where all the guns and stuff are, and it's still they still there's still tons and tons of those of those uh heat. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, even like I said, was gonna say, even if it did, you shot, and then those missiles didn't fire out. As soon as you let one go, you have to dodge so much to avoid the next one that you would never have a walk onto a pattern. Did you do my do the same thing I do, which is just hit both buttons all the time? <laughs> uh, pretty much. The instructions I say you can only that... have four missiles on the screen at once. But that didn't stop me. I just I just pounded both buttons the entire game. It's always the way I played this. Um, I, on the shooting game, you almost have to. Yeah. Uh, on the bombing game, I actually tried to line up my shot. I because I, I felt like I had more control. Yeah. Uh, but on the 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 flying straight shooting portions, no, you just you just hit your buttons and hope for the best. I think I think this is the weaker of the two. I always pick the other one, but I do like this one. I think it's a nice change of pace, and it's the the footage of it is awesome. So uh, I think we can both agree on that. Uh, and I will say the uh, this if they taken the, if they lessen the missiles, the the way the plane moves and stuff, it looks very realistic. I thought, didn't you? 
I mean, if you take out some of the stuff you didn't like, it looks good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It looks very uh, afterburner-ish. Yeah. Uh, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's that, I agree with you. That. Um, just to, just to kind of clean up shop here. Uh, the, again, this was released in September of '83, and they they shipped 5,600 units on this. It came in an upright, wow. and it also came in a cockpit. Now I'll tell you, the set down version was awesome. Uh, they had it at our local hills, and I remember playing. Yep. I remember walking in and seeing this thing. I'm like, holy smokes! Look at this. And you sit down in the cockpit of this thing. I mean, it is the bomb. It's a great feeling. It had really good sound. And, uh, uh, I mean, it was awesome. Awesome in the cockpit version. I'm not sure I ever saw the stand-up version. Did you, Brent? Do you remember seeing the stand-up? Uh, I remember playing the one at Hills. Yeah. Uh, just like you. I, I think that's the only place I've ever saw this. So, when this came out, it was actually pretty well received. Uh, aside from the fact that you had a lot of the guys from Gottlieb working on it. They had a good rep. Uh, it, it ended up doing pretty well out in the field. Uh, Game Machine listed Mach 3 on their March 15th, 84 issue as being the second most successful upright arcade game of the year. Pretty good. And Mach 3 was one of the few Laserdisc games that was that made its way to the number one position in Replay Magazine's Player's Choice and Play Meter's Equipment Poll. That's very good. Uh, especially the Equipment Poll, considering these, these Laserdisc games weren't known for their... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of equipment on that. We we didn't get any uh, Discord reviews on this, but I did want to mention our our buddy and newest member of our channel, uh, Rob Flack O'Hara, mentioned that he that growing up in his local bowling alley had an impressive arcade that included a set down Mach three cabinet. The bowling alley was within walking distance of my friend's house, and I definitely dropped some money into that machine. It may not have the action afterburner had. But man, did it look good! I agree with that assessment, Brent. A, a very attractive game. I uh, looked this up on eBay uh, just for fun, and there's really no one that was. There's no one selling one of these, or selling the boards out of one, or selling uh, uh, anything except for like some the marquee, which was also going for top dollar. So this one will yeah. set you back. It's funny because these games were quite a bit more. Uh, there were there were quite a few more of these back in the day that I've seen recently. Let's move on to what you had this week, Brent. You picked a, a, a more unusual, a, a very seldom seen title, I think. Yeah, I certainly wanted to, even though we didn't talk about our choices beforehand, I certainly wanted to look at one of the more action-oriented uh, Laserdisc games. So I went with Interstellar Laser Fantasy. Uh, I had never heard of this game until I had just happened to find it in the list and I normally play all my laser games that I have access to and I must have just continuously skipped over this. Uh, this was made by Funai in 1983 and they still exist today and they make a lot of uh, Pioneer and sound systems and stuff that uh, they slap other people's names on and ship out the door. They made uh, the game part of this, the actual ship shooting and all that stuff the background laser disc effects or it was made by a company called Gakken who is also still around today so both of these people both of these companies that had a hand in uh are still working today and none, neither of them are still in video games <laughs> in interstellar you uh fly the ship named the Fraud Runner and your mission is to fly to a distant alien spaceship, destroy their base, and then come back home and 
get saluted and high-fived and everybody's happy and then do it again. I think the game <laughs> actually loops like five times uh, before it finally says, okay, you've played enough, get out of here. And it's <clears throat> not as much... It's it's an odd blend between both versions of Mach 3 where you have laser cannons and then uh, you have an, a, ship, a ship attachment that will come down and attach to your ship every once in a while and allow you to bomb as well. So it has both games in one. Uh, Interstellar's kind of their claim to fame or what made them unique among shooting games outside of the laser disc aspect is they had a controller that would rotate uh, 90 degrees. It was twist control. And what that actually did was normally your ship is shooting straight forward in a almost a Space Invaders type configuration, but you could twist your controller and angle your ship 45 degrees in either direction to help you maneuver and shoot at the same time. Now, Aaron, I knew you were saying that you you were even up, wasn't even aware that this was capable no. uh, in this game. Did you just not use it, or were you twisting and not knowing? No, well, I mean, I've never played this in arcade. Obviously. And I, and I don't have a joystick that's a twist-type joystick. Now, so what I did notice is that you that your stick, you could, when you move your stick, your ship could occasionally, like, turn. But I just thought it was doing that when you got to a certain part of the screen. I didn't realize you could also sort of go up, too. Yeah. Which is something... Limited, I, but yeah, yes. The, the maneuverability of this is unusual. Let's just put it that way. It is. It really is. And, uh... The whole aspect of this, it's not Space Invaders because it's not top-to-bottom action. And it's not, it's almost like a, uh, what would you describe this as, Aaron? Almost like a, uh... It rem- I'll tell you what it reminded me of, okay? Because one thing, you're, when your ship shoots, the the bullets arch, right? They're yes. like they're going over horizon. Yeah. It reminded me if you took, like, a gyrus and flattened it. That's what you, that's what this reminded me of. Like, it's... You're almost going in almost like a, 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 a gentle curve at the bottom of the screen. And your ship, are, the, the bullets arch. And the enemies, you can see them from way, way off. Like you can in Gyrus when you're at the bottom of that pit. And then they come forward. So it sort of reminded me of that. And I looked over here and Wing Chun Wolf said, this is like playing Gyrus with a screensaver on. That's a that's a pretty <laughs> good assessment, I think, of that. But that's exactly what it reminded me of. I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I had... I had had a cup of coffee with the uh, the uh, but the gameplay in this is actually um uh right there at the tippy top of laser disc games. I mean it's I mean they actually took some time to put something that resembles a proper shooter in it. In my and opinion, let's, and let's talk about that for. A uh, I will have to say that the shooting aspect of this game is fun enough. I don't think it was revolutionary. I don't think it was groundbreaking. I think the angle at which you kind of see this with is kind of neat. However, the uh, laser fantasy part of the game, which is the background, completely tacked on. Uh, Unlike Mach 3, where it's relevant to the action screen, uh, and in Interstellar Laser Fantasy, it sometimes kind of looks like you're scooting across the ground, but there are plenty of times where it's just patterns or geometric shapes or waves outlines uh yeah wireframe and it's definitely surreal yeah you know what it reminds me of no remember the uh star wars holiday special when grandpa has on his little headset fantasy land that's the that part's disturbing that's exactly that's the most disturbing part so uh it's like they took it's like they saw that which 
actually, I think that came out after. This, but and then they said, you know what, we should do that, but stick a laser, a, a, a video game over top of it, and that's what they did. Uh, something to mention about the cabinet these things. Uh, this also had a stand up and set down cabinet, and the stand up cabinet was your standard fare. Uh, your set-down cabinet is a cockpit-style cabinet with this huge glass window in the back so people could watch. And uh, very few of these, the set-down cabinets, survive to this day. Uh, it's a really hard find. Apparently, that that uh, glass in the back broke all the time when people were either moving it or, you know, just getting rough with it, not in the arcade-type environment. Uh, this... Aaron, I don't yeah. know if Mach 3 got ported anything, but this game did get ported. You're kidding uh, me. To the MSX, yeah. their laser add-on. And I had, a, I had a cup of coffee with it, and it's pretty good. Uh, obviously, the gameplay graphics are dumbed down a little bit. They're not quite as sharp. You don't get quite that funky angle like you do in the arcade version. Uh, however, the laser part, of course, is dead on. So you can play this uh, on a home console release, sort of. You know, if you have an MSX and the laser attachment, wait, you could you could fire this right up. Wait a minute here. You're, the MSX had a laser attachment. I've never heard of this. That's, that, that's incredible. It's I'm going to see this. It was ported <laughs> to the MSX Palcom in 1985. Put that and on they the dropped list. the Laser Fantasy and just called it Interstellar. <laughs> wow, and it kept all the video? Yeah, yeah, the backgrounds were pretty much exact. Uh, however, actual, like I said, the actual game graphics, they, they had it dumbed down a little bit. That's astounding. That's that's news to me. I gotta check that thing out. Uh, a few other notes uh, worthy on this game. <clears throat> they had planned for the Laser Fantasy service to be a whole brand of gaming. Uh, Interstellar fan Laser Fantasy ha was slated for a sequel that never saw the light of day, unfortunately. Um, and then they had other games in the Laser Fantasy realm uh, that also never saw the light of day. Apparently, uh, this game did not do well, or it was not the moneymaker they were expecting. I have a feeling when you had two companies involved uh, making the game, and then both of them wanting a piece of that pie, they were probably expecting to get a bigger piece of pie than they got. The sequel for this game has been, uh, the rebirth, you should say, has been teased online since about 2008. Uh, a couple people said that they would like to pick up the project and run with it and make, you know, another Interstellar game, uh, but that has not happened. Overall, Aaron, do you think this game could stand on its own without the laser background. I think this one, maybe. I mean, it's close. Uh, this, I thought the gameplay in this was, you know, I, again, I've looked at this one. It's got the rep of being trippy, and it is super trippy. Yeah. Uh, and, but, I mean, the actual combat is not bad. I like okay. the fact. I like the fact that, the, I, I think having the shots kind of arch over the horizon, it's just a subtle thing, but it makes it, it gives it more depth. Yeah. And that, that adds a lot to it to me. Uh, the fact that you can kind of, uh, your ship's kind of real maneuverable as neat. And the fact that the uh, aliens are come out in a video game-like fashion. I mean, they, there's a game here. That's the, that's the key element to this. It's I sort agree. of like the, I mean, even more so than Mach 3. I think Mach 3 is a better game. I'll tell you that right now. But 
I think in terms of gameplay, this is uh, uh, has uh, a lot going for it. I mean, if you look at these games where they overlay graphics on the uh, onto a video picture, I mean, now let's talk about Vegas Battle as a perfect example. They do it. They put video in front of a in front of a ga of like shooting game, and it's st the shooting game stinks. It's no good. Like if you're, I always thought to myself, they can make this work if they would actually put a good game on top of this footage. And this is as close as they I've probably seen to someone actually doing that. You know, I think I think there's. Uh, uh, I was surprised how much I enjoyed the gameplay in this. It's not an easy game, and part of the no, problem is that uh, they, they've got stuff flying in from everywhere. But I like the gyrosy elements where the stuff comes from way off. They did some good like scaling or something in this, and it worked. Mm -hmm. uh, and believe it or not, the trippy backgrounds for me they sort of worked in a weird way. Uh, I kind of liked them. They were they were fun to look at while you were playing. They didn't really have much to do with the game. I could have done without the bombing elements. I didn't think that really added much to the game. You know, I mean, it, it's something different. It, it shows you they were trying, but it's yeah. not something like that I thought was like particularly awesome. So overall. I could have done without that, but I thought it was—I thought it was pretty neat. You know, it's—it's it's a very unusual title, and the fact that this got a home release I, now, I've got to—I'm going to be all over that. That's—that's that's interesting news. Well, here's the thing: I think that this game could have been—you—you you could have given it a plain space background, and it would have been a good game. I think it would have been a pedestrian with a plain space background. Well, here's my point, though: I think if you're able to do that. I think that makes it a bad laser disc game. Uh, I I think that they did not use the laser disc for any potential outside of crazy wacky backgrounds. Uh, and from a gameplay perspective, that's not good enough. That doesn't cut it with me. Did I you think the, did you find if did they were these backgrounds made specifically for this game? Yes. Or did they do it? Oh, they were okay because they. It looks like someone just went like. Someone like kidnapped a bunch of demo programmers and said, "Do it and get busy." <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. It, now they didn't say like, uh, you know, we need the ship to line up with this, and we need, you know, that we need these to come over the horizon. They didn't do anything like that. It was just like, here's our here's our awesome laser disc stuff that you asked for, and they were like, okay, let's put the game over top of it and have a good time. They were kind of lazy, is what you're saying. <laughs> No, I don't think it was lazy. I think it was just two different companies with two different specialities uh, that had never done, you know, hadn't done much video game stuff before, uh, came together and tried to make something. Two other notes I want to mention. <clears throat> when you can, it, you can continue in this game, and you have to get so far before continuing matters. But I was very amused that uh, if you don't get past stage four, and the continue screen comes up. Normally, it says like if you you know if you continue, you'll continue at stage five. Uh, if you continue in stages one through four, it comes up and says if you continue, we'll skip the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Which I always thought was a kind of a strange way of wording it. Uh, <laughs> the, also, with this game, the if you ever want a fun like funny Japanese to English translation, uh, look up the manual for this game. Yeah. It is chalked full of it. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to go into the examples, although I do have it pulled up here. Uh, I'll let you experience on your own. It is uh, quite a funny read if you uh, put it in context. Some of the things they're talking about, especially when it comes to laser disc care 
or just electricity in general. Good fun stuff. So, Aaron, with that all the way, I think we should move on to the real star of the show. It's the wheel. Oh, let's do it right now. So, last week we rolled the uh, Retro Rewind, and so we've replaced that with the good old... I was inspired by Boat. I put the good old NES on there, Brent. The good old NES. Yes. You have a feel on anything this week? You know, I think it's about time we spin one of those locks. You want to explain those locks real quick? Those locks are the fallen air or the fallen Amigo shows, and they're gonna stay on that wheel even if they uh, get spun. But apparently, they have some kind of anti-spin technology attached to them. There's a lot Where of weird stuff. On... Please stop. It's very, it's very bad for the show. <laughs> There's a lot of weird stuff on this wheel. You don't like my dance, the wheel dance? Do, do, no, do. I do not like the wheel dance. Let's, here we go. Very pedestrian spin. Well, I'm sorry. Oh, God. What do we got here? Oh, Lord. Okay, it's the Game King. The Game King 1 through 3. That's what you've got written on here. Do you want to explain game what king the Game 1 through 3. What is the, what is the Game King 1-3, Brent? Um... I believe it's a handheld. Oh, uh, we're this is going to be a painful one, isn't it? <laughs> I have never heard of the Game King. <laughs> I'll be singing some Counting Crows next week. That's for darn sure, though. So <laughs> next week, it's the Game King uh, one through three. Uh, Brent, you want to give a shout out to our long-suffering chat who have yes. endured our various issues today. Those who have stuck through us through thick and thin today. We got Picard. Uh, Pixel at Dawn, Hermski, uh, Mitsuyama, Duncan Styles, uh, Wing Chung Wolf, Roushi, and I know there was somebody else up here I wanted to shout out, Frodo NL. Uh, some of our lurkers today, we've had uh, Laser Disc. Wow, that's very appropriate. Milton Bradley made an appearance. Mm. Hello, sir. I like some of your board games. Uh, Retro Faza, and let's do one more shout out to Comrade Two Face. <laughs> Can't go wrong. That's there. a tough comrade right there. Uh, uh, real quick, Aaron, an announcement I want to make. Uh, we are preparing months in advance for our Thanks for Giving marathon, uh, and we want to extend. A invitation to all those who are uh, ARG supporters through Anchor.fm. If you have a piece you would like to see on the Thanks for Giving wheel, please, please, please send them to our mail account, ARGpresents at mail.com. Uh, we want to get as many submissions as we can from our supporters. We are going, anyone who supports, uh, up to September 1st, uh, you are eligible to make a suggestion, and we are cutting those uh, suggestions off at the beginning of October. Uh, that will give us plenty of time to prepare and get everything ready. So if you are a supporter and want to throw a suggestion our way for the Thanks for Giving Marathon, uh, please do. Also, if you aren't a member of the, of the ARG Presents family, you can still throw out wheel suggestions for our day-to-day -day show. Uh, again, that address is argpresents at mail.com. 
come give us a suggestion, and we'll see if it gets put on the wheel. Very good. Very good. One last little piece of business before we go. Uh, we have started uh, a new Twitch channel. This is real. This is under the ARG banner, but really, this is just sort of a, a mod. It's for modern games or games uh, for kids or anything that doesn't fit into the Amiga's normal channel. Uh, if you're into that sort of thing, the you go over to Twitch and our channel is called ARG Presents, all one word. Uh, so we've got a uh, we I've played wrestling on there. Me and the boy have played some total uh, totally reliable delivery service, and we've played a ton of Daylight of uh, Dead Before Daylight over there. So plenty of weird, more modern stuff doesn't fit into our normal routine. So if you want to add us up, it's ARG Presents, all one word. And just I, for those wondering, no, we will not be doing our weekly show over there. Right, uh, yeah. We yeah. are still firmly part of the Amigos Retro yeah. Gaming Network. This is just, uh, this is just some, it's under our moniker just because, just to have something to name it effectively. That's it. That I can remember. I think that's it, Brent. Let's quit now before we do any more damage. <laughs> <laughs> thanks right. for Thanks for hanging with us, everybody. Until next week, wish us luck. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Quick shout out to all of our YouTube subscribers and Twitch followers. A special thank you to Duncan Styles for our vector graphics and Bart Pitt for our amazing music. Would you like to keep ARG spinning for as little as a dollar a month? You can do so at anchor.fm slash ARG presents. Supporters get entry into the Amigos Discord channel as well as their name called out in the credits. Supporters like these fine folks. Anthony Jarvis, Rand W. Vetke, Terry Howard, Gary Heather, John Schaller, The Slow Norris, Frodo NL, Steve Rasmussen, Chris Foles, Mitsuyama, Retroallergy, Hermsky, John Dackman, and Jerry Dennington. Don't want to explain another credit card bill? That's okay too. You can help us out by leaving us a positive review on Spotify and Apple iTunes. Have an idea for a wheel piece? Send it to us at argpresents at mail.com. We record live every Sunday at 9am EDT on Twitch. Hope to see you there.